Welcome to Data Hurdles, a weekly podcast where we explore the impacts data and technology have on our day-to-day lives. My name is Michael Burke. And I'm Chris Detzel. Welcome to another Data Hurdles. I'm Chris Detzel and... I'm Michael Burke. Michael, how are you today? I'm doing well. Uh, Got off a long flight yesterday, got back at like two in the morning. So happy it's Friday. Happy we've got some time (laughs) to recover for the weekend. Um, had an amazing offsite at work. So feeling pumped up about that. Chris, I know you probably are as well. <laughs> I'm pumped, man. Yeah. A lot, a lot of really good stuff coming from Realtio. So tell us, what are we, what are we thinking about today? What are we going to talk about? All right. So today we're going to talk about large language models, but in particular, some of the new stuff that's really emerging in this category. What are these platforms? What are localized large language models or offline large language models? And how is this space evolving? You know, some, that's interesting. And, and you're very passionate about it. It's like this week when we were together at the soft site, you kept bringing up um, some of these localized language, large language models, and you're showing me a couple of things. And it's pretty intriguing. And I think today we'll focus a little bit on um, Meta's AI's Llama. Does that sound interesting to you, Michael? Yeah, absolutely. And the reason it's it's cool is there are these platforms now that have been released that offer various AI-related services and solutions, um, such as weights to models, so that you can actually, without needing a significant amount of data and domain expertise to actually build and consolidate you know, massive amounts, trillions of data points, You can actually leverage one of these large language model platforms, which provides you with model weights uh, under some non-commercial licenses. And so what does this mean for the average person, right? If you're not in this space? Yeah. It means that um, A, you have the ability to do things with these models and train them in ways that you wouldn't have previously. And then B, you can do things like also run some of these models locally, right? These outputted models. You can output these models, package them up, and run them locally. And something that is just like an awesome thought that I had the other day, I've been experimenting with these. They're new to me too. So if anybody in the community, if I get anything wrong, please jump on the form and correct <laughs> me, right? But, uh, you know, I was able to run one of these models locally on my laptop. And I had a flight to go to this offsite. Uh, earlier last week, and the internet went out on the plane, right? And I had a ton of stuff to do. I was kind of under the wire on a bunch of different deadlines. Well, I actually loaded up this localized large language model, which has, you know, 90% accuracy to chat GPT, and was able to query it and ask it things as I was working to improve my experience and get my work done. It was almost like having a Google or a powerful search engine in your pocket that you could pull out and leverage at any point. You know, anywhere you are, you don't need the internet, you don't need to be connected. You can run this all locally on your machine. Okay, so I want you to put it in perspective because as I kind of think about this and when I first started thinking about it, now it's a little bit different, but I thought, okay, so you can search and do like a ChatGPT-ish, you know, light or whatever on your computer without the internet so what what does that mean like why is that so cool or why is that so interesting to you i mean just think about how that expands 
what can be done with this kind of technology. If you think about um, any IoT device, right? It could be a drone. It could be, you know, a, a bot or something that's collecting information or trying to make sense of something in the real world. Mm. Well, now it's got this massive model that gives it context to the things around it, right? Imagine if I can take a, if I have a little robot, let's say, and this is probably a hokey example, right? But I've got like a drone flying around and it's looking at things right on the ground and it can actually make sense of the context of what's on the ground and not just this is a house or this is a road, but like there's a person walking on the road uh, and here's all the attributes associated with that person. That's where I think we're really headed with a lot of this stuff. And when you think about a large language model and, and also like how things could interact with one another, right? Imagine you have some sort of IoT device that needs to be able to interact with something or the things around it. It doesn't need the internet to do that. That essentially unplugs it, right? From needing an internet connection, needing a battery source, or like needing a... Uh, internet source or some large supercomputer to run it it, it it completely liberates that technology to be able to provide ai in places that it could never have been before that's pretty crazy i almost said a, a bad word there but uh i mean that's that's insane you don't need the internet and then you know drones or whatever it is robots you know kind of talking to each other in a way or at least understanding you know, what's going on in its surroundings and things like that, that seems kind of crazy. Um, and, and this is a little bit like, it's out there, but like, think about what if we launched a robot into space, right? That had yeah. chat GPT and could interact with the things around it. Sent it's it a out, very you know? positive way to think about that. I like the positiveness on that. I think people go to like myself, more of the scary things, right? Like Terminator-like things. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, over time we are in a space and i think that within our lifetime where we will probably encounter some of these more difficult challenges right yeah. i think they are coming uh what rate they they come to to fruition uh or become a reality is is really still tbd but i do yeah. think that things are moving much faster than we initially anticipated in this space. Well, I think now, and, and we can get back into the to the topic, but because of the chat GPT and BARD, and I just heard, and I can't wait to go uh, look at it, but BARD just released some new features on it, and we'll go, I'll go figure out that later, but um, is that the genie is out of the bottle, right? Now it's a race to not just, you know, chat GPT and, and Google or Microsoft, but to companies like ours and other companies to use and and embrace AI, you know, like the first to that and the ones that use it really well and, you know, show value in a big way, they're going to win. They're just going to win, you, you know, and, and I think it's highly important, like it or not, it's coming, it's here, and it's going to uh, – and, and it's going to be here way faster, I think. There's going to be acceleration in it in those next – year or two or less. I mean, right now it's going, you know, and you'll start seeing some cool stuff, I think, very soon, more so. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, the wild thing about this whole space is the way that this has democratized um, the need for 
supercomputers and tremendous mm. amounts of data to answer really complicated questions. So what you're going to see is not only companies that have been around for a while starting to create new and innovative features, but you're going to see startups come out yeah. of the woodwork yeah. on day one that can leverage this technology to solve complex problems that previously were only accessible to the Googles and the Microsofts of the world, right? That's how this is really going to change things. Is that well, OpenAI is giving you access to their APIs and everything else yeah. now, right? You know, and so they're the ones going to be making a shit ton of money. <laughs> Sorry and, about that, but and the other the other thing that's wild is that you know many of these organizations they're holding back technology. Like these, there is more to come in this space oh, um, that we haven't even touched, right? As as a as consumers of these models, I talked to. Uh, uh, somebody at uh, Google a few a couple of weeks ago. This person said, "Look, version five and six and seven are already out. They're already out, you know. And we, they just don't release those things uh, because it's so scary. You know, they don't want to just overload people's brains. I guess I think think we can't take it. Um, so I know we need to talk more about uh, Meta's AI's llama, right? And uh, just wanted to kind of get back into that." But this is fascinating to me. Yeah, and I think that this really brings home some of these terms that you're going to start hearing a lot more about models and how they operate, especially the difference between just using a chat GPT, which I think will be really good for a lot of use cases. Yeah, yeah. And these other models that might be hyper-tuned or parameterized in specific ways to solve specific use cases. Um, and that's where a lot of these these kind of key features that I think we can talk about today are going to come in handy. So I think one of the first ones is is this thing of, you know, what are model parameters? And if you've been online or you've read about these models, you're kind of like, you may have heard of this or you may have just said, you know, I've got ChatGPT and that works great for me. And that's excellent, right? But for those that are interested, parameters are really the machine learning term for like the variables present in the model, which it was trained on, right? That can be used yeah. for new content. So you think you might hear terms of like, oh, you know, 128 or whatever billion parameters versus a 7 billion parameter model. And what that really is, is the breadth of content or variables that are baked into that model. And the larger the number of parameters, the more compute power that you need to answer specific questions and run the model, right? Um, so as models get bigger, there's things that, that will improve, like their ability to respond to multiple constructed questions with additional context. I think right now, ChatGPT, which is one of the bigger models, can do 50. It can hold 50 or so questions in its memory or its brain that it can send related content to you. So when you think about like you ask it a question and then you ask it another related question, it understands that those two questions are related. Today, it can hold about 50 of those questions in its memory before it starts to forget or lose the context of what you're talking about. Oh, that's interesting. Um, it's a little technical for me. I mean, it sounds like if it's the more the, the the size, the better, or at least the more it can hold. Is that right? Like just 
It does. It does. But the cool thing is, is that, you know, up until recently, we only had models that could run on really powerful, expensive computers. Yeah. And when you think about like what's running on my laptop, for example, is a 7 billion parameter model. Okay. Right? I don't, I don't even need a GPU to run it. And then you think about, okay, well, could we run a 7 billion parameter, maybe a 2 billion parameter on a Raspberry Pi? And what kind of opportunities does that open up in this innovative space where you don't even need the internet and you can run a localized model on something like a small, inexpensive computer? So the way, and you tell me if I'm completely wrong, but you remember back in the day when memory was just this for a computer, you put memory in and you know, uh, the more memory you put in, the better. But now memory is like, you know, you get, I don't know, whatever it is, a gig or two. And, and that's just about what you, all you need, right? Um, and you can pretty much do anything you want. Do you think that these models get to a point to where, um, you know, they just get, they learn more and better and, and they become smaller in size, you know what I mean? Like over time. So right now you said a 65 b- billion, whatever model holds a ton of stuff, questions and all this stuff, but eventually maybe they can consolidate that down as we get smarter. Do you, know, you see what I'm saying on the question? Maybe it kind Absol- of- Absolutely. So what we're really trying to say- And it is- becomes cheaper and everything else over time, you know, to, to manage that. Yeah. You have this model which is trained on everything, right? Yeah. Do you really need everything to answer most of the questions that you're asking? I can guarantee you that no. I would I would venture to bet that the vast majority of questions that people are asking Chat GPT yeah. are using like the most simple pathways and parameters on these models. Yeah. It's like Amazon Alexa, you know. They have however many trillions of people saying the words, hey, Alexa. That's not the thing that they are worried about answering, right? It's every other edge case that they need to generalize in that platform. What you will start to see are cheaper, more efficient devices that don't need to be able to answer every question. They only need to be able to answer a subset of questions and do that very well. What the, I think that's true. When you look at a product company, let's say like Reltio, for example, um, you know, and, and I, I think, you know, if you train the model to learn all things Reltio, all the, co- or all the codes that we have, let's say our documentation, our online community, our, all the support type stuff, questions and things like that. And you build just, you continue to just focus in on that only, right? Like the all things Reltio, you know, how MDM stuff and how to use it and all this thing. You push that into the product, man, and you throw a question at it about all things Reltio and it learns it. It, it, it can tell you what it's all we already know easily though. And then, and then it learns kind of even better stuff to do. You know, I mean, I think, I mean, that's just one basic thing that I see that that's a huge opportunity for product companies, you know, especially complex products, you know? Yeah. And really it's making a decision on how much context does that model need to do its yeah. job well, right? Does it need to know about MDM, master data management? Probably. Does it need yeah. to know about data quality? Most likely. Yeah. Does it need to know about 
the consumption strategies or types of customers to do its job better? Probably. And when you start moving backwards into this and stepping into this space, you start thinking about what would a support rep really need to know to be good at their job? Yeah. Um, you know, or or other technical support people within an organization. And that context really becomes a subset of what you would want to, you know, tune or focus on to build out a model that was inefficient, that was fit efficient, excuse me, effective, and, and really did its job well, right? So let's go back to this localized models because, you know, this stuff is intriguing, man. Like, I've never been so excited. <laughs> but... Uh, one of the questions we have here is, uh, what is a model card? You know, why is that relevant to this conversation? Right. So as we continue to build out these more complicated black boxes of systems, right, this idea of a model card has been introduced. And really what that is, is a document that provides key information about a machine learning model to help increase its transparency by communicating what information the models are trained on and kind of the broad audiences that they're intended for. So it's not going to tell you everything or be able to sort cite exactly what it's doing, but what it will do is provide enough information for you to say, I feel like the information that this machine was trained on is sufficient and accurate for the things that I'm looking for. So it's a good way to document. Um, there are other technologies now that are coming out and platforms which are creating better traceability and accountability for models as well. Yeah. Uh, and I think that we will likely do another um, podcast on those as they're just coming out, but there are some really cool ones. Hugging Face just released one last week. Um, and we should get some of these vendors on the phone to talk to, you know, just to kind of... Totally. Yeah. yeah, I think we will. That's a good idea. Anyways, go ahead. But... But they're really starting to see that immediately with all of these expansive and powerful use cases that these models are going to solve, that we need a better way to audit and understand how decisions are made and how the relationship between a question and answer uh, is engaged, right? That's great. Um, you know, there's, there's this question around a transformer around these models. What, what's a transformer? Yeah. So when you think about transformers, um, really think about the ability for a model to understand and recognize the relationships and the connections between words and concepts, right? And we use this term like using self-attention, right? A self-attention mechanism. But really what that is, is there's many different ways to ask the same question. Right. Yeah. And there is a capability that the model has to understand the relationship between those words and those and how they form questions and what topics or concepts you're actually trying to get information about. So you think about it in the old days when you gave a Google search, right? If you wrote a full sentence, you might not get back a great result. That's right. And so you, what you started doing was you would write keywords. Yeah. And those essentially are the concepts um, that is the relationship between a sentence or a lot of words and these specific topics or pieces of information that you're actually trying to understand or learn more about. Um, 
Yeah, keep going. Sorry. No, no, go ahead. No, I was kind of reading uh, a little bit about some of the things that you wrote down here. And one of the things that intrigued me um, was you, you said stack exchanges, but I started thinking stock exchanges, you know, like, you know, <laughs> think about like the opportunity and, and maybe this learning, the, the AI kind of learning language, big language or large language models, putting that into the stock, stock market, things like that, you know, there's going to be shit stuff created <laughs> that it's just insanity that we're not even, I don't know if we're thinking about it. Some people are, uh, that really gives you a huge advantage, you know, just. And the interesting thing is with something like the stock market, right? Stocks are sometimes driven on fact, but also a yeah. lot of times they're driven on perception, right? That's right. And one of the hardest things to understand about perception is what is the general consensus of people that are going to have the most impact on an outcome? Yeah. And how are they perceiving things? Um, so, and what are their intentions, right? And so that is incredibly hard, like probably impossible for at least one human or even a large group of humans to understand perception at a global level. But yeah. a model that's running and moving fast and ingesting all of this information from across the internet might be able to do a, a slightly better job at that, right? Or maybe it's a significantly better job. But these are the types of things where I think as things get faster, as they get more efficient and they improve in accuracy, you'll start to see even more of these real-time decisions coming out of models where not only are they these large language models, where they're not trained on data that's a year stale or even a month stale. It's like they are up to the minute um, continuously learning. And again, you won't see this on the offline models or yeah. things that are running on your computer. These are going to require supercomputers to, to keep Do you updated. think that uh, on the uh, offline models or the localized models that you're talking about, do you think maybe there's like this kind of button eventually that you say update and then it just kind of updates that model a little bit, you know, like kind of software is today, right? Say, oh, you know, I need this model to be updated for whatever. I, I'm making stuff up, but, you know, it seems like it could always stay up to date through some kind of patch or update of some sort, you know, because then you can connect it online if you wanted, then boom. Or do you think these things will just start learning themselves and, and just get smarter just automatically? I think what you're going to see is companies starting to subscribe hmm. to sets of well-maintained weights, right? Mm -hmm. So we talked about this at the beginning, right? What is a foundation model? It's this model that's trained off a massively huge piece, body of information, right? Of unlabeled data, which means that it can be fine-tuned for a variety of different tasks, right? That's what Llama is. Yeah, but okay. The average person isn't going to be able to update that kind of content quickly. Yeah. And so what they will do is subscribe to something that's maintained. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. That, exactly. And then they will tune that model for their specific use cases. If you think about like even the programming world right now, we have languages like Python. We have mm -hmm. C, PHP, whatever. There's a very small group of people that update and continuously maintain these libraries or yeah. language libraries. And then every developer and the, around the world imports the latest version of these libraries and writes their own code. The same thing will happen with 
large language models where there'll be a few big platforms that emerge and developers will build and tune specialized models on top of that subscription. Can it be like an app? There's all these apps now like chat GPT or chat, whatever that I think they'll continue to build and and things like that. Um, You know, it's, it's pretty interesting um, with these large language models, how much, I mean, like, Lang- uh, like different languages, like literally different, like French or, I mean, whatever it is, the, the amount of translation that these things can do as well is pretty phenomenal. Like, do we even need translation companies now to do stuff? If I just copy and paste, like, a, am getting off a little bit, but I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm coming up with some cool things in my head that I think I can go do. If I want to go write a, a paper, I already have one written, but I want it in French. It would just write it in French for me. You know what I mean? Like, it's crazy, man. There was a, um, a Medium article I was reading recently about uh, somebody who tuned a large language model that was written in English. And I think they used 2,000, maybe it was 10,000 translated sentences. And when you think about what kind of questions a large language model needs to respond to, that it, it's just super vast and complex, right? But they were able to yeah. change the language from English to German in like 10,000 translated sentences, right? It's, yeah. it's amazing. And then they had a model that was running and speaking in their native tongue. <laughs> this is crazy, man. Like I'm, I'm loving uh, learning from you and, and others. And as I kind of get smarter about this stuff, it is fascinating. It's phenomenal. And I believe that our world changes, uh, you know, like crazy in the way we use technology, the way, you know, jobs are put out there, you know, five years looks completely different from now till from now till then, you know, I believe. What do you think? I agree. I mean, look, there's a lot of hype around this, like every new AI innovation. Yeah, of course. But there's a lot of things that are real and they're coming to fruition quickly. (laughs) And what I would say is that both the pros and the cons, the concerns of the world ending and the world changing for the better forever, all are potential outcomes of these types of innovations. They typically happen at a much slower rate than what people are talking about and the hype. But I do think that what you will see is significant change throughout the world in the coming years. No, I have no doubt about it. I believe, and we can stop there if you want, but is that when you look at back in the day when, you know, MySpace came out, right? You know, that was the only, or from what I remember, the only social platform. And then Facebook comes out and changes the world. And now there's all these social technologies. I believe that AI and ML has a greater impact than that social piece. Because, you know, even then, the way that phones kind of, you know, uh, you went from a flip phone to some shitty uh, other phones, Palm Pilot, but then all of a sudden, um, you know, uh, Apple comes out with this amazing, easy to use kind of uh, touchscreen phone that you didn't think would work, but it did. And then the app um, area can't, you know, the app kind of uh, development started coming out and everybody started using apps and everything else. And then, you know, Companies then started using apps in front of, you know, we use, you know, uh, 
apps in a sense, you know, to open up documents and or open up uh, different. Uh, the point is, is that, you know, that's how much of an impact or more that these. I mean, it, it's crazy to see technology change like this, and and I, I love it, but I, I'm also a little like, oh, like, oh my god, you know, what's going to happen? So, a lot's going to change. It, in some areas, it will change drastically and yeah. overnight. In others, we're still decades away from true innovation, right? I don't disagree. But this so, is just it just opens up a new pocket of uh, innovation and awesomeness. This is this is it. This is or the the pieces of this is it. You know what I mean? It doesn't. It might not be. Hey, it's ChatGPT. ChatGPT might not be around. You know. Five years from now, it might be something else, you know, but, um, but it's, it's going to have, you know, it, it's made us impact is all I'm saying. Completely agree. Awesome. Well, Michael, thanks for another data hurdles. I'm Chris Detzel and I'm Michael Burke. Thanks for tuning in. All right. Thanks everyone. And lastly, don't forget to rate and review us. Thank you. Mm-hmm.